Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here in the wee hours of Monday morning. It's been a difficult Sunday for me because I don't, I don't know what to do with myself when we don't play baseball. You know, it's like when I'm on the road, it's so easy to kind of get up because the day is so regimented. You know, you got to get up, you got to check out a hotel, grab something to eat, get over to the ball game, and then come home. You know, so the day's kind of made for you. But when we don't play on Sunday, I don't really know what to do. So I'm like, well, I got a couple articles I can write. You know, we can watch Florida and Vanderbilt. And so uh, I spent most of the day sleeping. I know it's weird. I woke up and I had a couple phone calls. I returned, got to that. And I said, well, you know, maybe I'll just be a little bit lazy today. Maybe I'll uh, watch a little TV. I never get to watch TV. So maybe I'll watch a little TV. And the next thing I know, the TV's watching me. Because I was asleep and I woke up and I said, well, let me go. Let me go get some lunch. Get back. I said, okay, well, I'll watch Florida Vanderbilt. And I did watch some of that. And I think they were part of the game. I think Florida and Vanderbilt were watching me. I guess, you know, you, you know, nobody's ever died from a lack of sleep. Because at some point, your body will put you to bed. But, um, man, what a great weekend it was for Mississippi State, though. We're going to talk all about that today. And, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about, and I don't want to wax too poetic and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you guys know I have a book of poetry coming out, so I can do that. But, you know, here's the thing about weekends at Duty Noble Field that I think are unlike anything else in, in the world. As much as I love being at Davis Wade Stadium and all the tailgates and everybody's out there and we're recreating, we're having a good time, we're congregating as a family, it, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. It's good going to the hump. It's not as good as going to Davis Wade. It's not as good as going to Duty Noble. And a lot of it's because we don't have that same social atmosphere. That's not, that's not a reflection of of basketball per se it's just we don't get a chance to enjoy each other quite as much in basketball you know football one of the things I've shared many times about football is that you know I know for us you know the day is so intensive you know we get up I get to the stadium you know a lot of times it's a travel day you got to get there get your credential get checked in and for you guys it's, it's a lot you know those of you that host us at these tailgates uh, you were the salt of the earth type people because I, I'll be honest with you, I, I cannot begin to imagine the amount of preparation and expense and time and trouble that goes into all that stuff. But you guys keep doing it. I mean, it's like it's such a labor of love. I mean, I rarely ever get to go out to the lounge. But I said this weekend I was going to do that. I was going to do some of my, my game day stuff kind of in advance so I could get out there and go see some friends. You know how it is? I mean, there are some friends. If you don't see them on campus at Mississippi State, you don't see them. You know, you keep up on Facebook or Twitter, and that kind of stuff kind of keeps us lazy. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, even if you're not interacting with somebody, I mean, you see their pictures, and you think you think you're caught up. And so while sometimes social media keeps us connected, it also kind of keeps us lazy. And so, so I went out to the lounge, and I just kind of made the rounds out there, and I got some friends out there, you know, Johnny Hayes and the group down there by Hobies. I mean, every time I go over there, I feel like that I, you know, I feel like I'm part of a movie. You know, I mean, because, I mean, they're all so excited down there. They love Mississippi State baseball. They do. And I love Mississippi State baseball. And so, you know, you get around out there and shake a few hands and that sort of stuff. And it, it reminds me how special what we have really is. And I have talked about that on the show before. But it's we can't talk about it enough. And the more that I travel... And the more that I chase the Diamond Dogs around the country and go to venues all over the Southeast and beyond, the greater appreciation I have for Mississippi State and the greater appreciation I have for Duke Noble Field. 
And some of the greatest appreciation I have comes from talking to other fans. Not just here, but on the road. They'll say, you know what, hey, we went to Duty Noble two years ago. We can't believe it. It's incredible. I wish we had something like that. Then you go to places like Vanderbilt. And listen, I got a lot of respect for Vanderbilt's players. I don't have a lot of respect for Vanderbilt's program. I don't have a lot of respect for Vanderbilt's uh, way of doing things. And the bottom line is they're, they're exploiting a loophole, but they're legally doing it. They're not cheating. It may be a little bit unethical, but they're doing what they can. And it's all they have. But when you go to that Vanderbilt baseball stadium, it is absolutely nothing special. But when you talk to those people, you can hear it say, well, you know, we don't have the great stadium. We got a couple of national championships. But, you know, what are they going to say when we have the, the great stadium and a couple of national championships? I would much rather be us. I want the title. But I believe long term, you know, eventually the, I really believe the scholarship situation is going to get resolved in the years to come. And this whole Vanderbilt run is going to be a flash in the pan. And I think we're going to be grateful that we invested what we did in college baseball because I think we're going to benefit from that. But I wanted to give a shout-out to one of my new friends, a young man by the name of Hayes Weldon. I've had a chance to meet uh, his, him and his mom, Molly, his dad, Curtis. And uh, it's a special young man. It's this guy, too. He, this guy loves Mississippi State baseball. He had a chance to meet Landon Sims over the weekend. And, you know, the thing it reminds me of when I see you guys bring your kids to the ball game, it's, a little, it's just a different deal. You know, I guess because it is so family-oriented and because, you know, we all grew up coming with our dads. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was what we did. And there's it, a lot of things in life that have changed. You know, we don't get out and go quite as much and do some of the things we did. Maybe we don't get together as much as, you know, as a family or whatever. Maybe we take grander vacations. and we don't. Maybe we just don't run over to mom and dad's and have dinner like we used to. Life is a lot busier. And so when we take a little time, you know, to go, and you go to Duty Noble Field, it's like a time-honored family tradition. A lot of things in life have changed, but moms and dads bringing their kids to Mississippi State baseball games is a constant. And now more and more people can come. You know, and listen, we still got to do something long term about general admission seating. I'll be the first to tell you that. You know, a lot of a lot of times you got the single serving ticket holder that they can't get a chair back, and they got to come and kind of stand up all day. And I don't know if that's always the best of experiences, to be honest with you, especially when you have young kids. But when I see Hayes out there and I see the smile on his face when, you know, our players take a little time to say hello and take a picture and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm reminded of when I was a kid. I remember meeting Mike Kelly. And, you know, some of you guys will look up that and say, who's, the, who's Mike Kelly? Well, Mike Kelly was Jake Mangum before Jake Mangum was born. Mike Kelly was it at Mississippi State. Mike Kelly was an All-American. Mike Kelly helped take us to Omaha. Had a chance to interview Mike for the Alpha Dogs book. It was a great honor to me because he was one of my childhood heroes. Mike Kelly gave me his hat when I was a little kid. I was about seven years old, and Mike Kelly gave me his hat. It, and we joked about it when I interviewed him. It might not have even been his hat. It may have been somebody else's hat, and he was playing a prank and said, hey, let me give this guy's hat to, to this kid. I don't know. But I've always remembered that. And I remember the impression that that made on me that Mike Kelly took a moment to say hello to a little kid that was there enjoying a baseball game to watch the Bulldogs play. And... We talk about tradition and we talk about constants, but we don't recruit bad actors at Mississippi State to play baseball. We don't have to. 
There may be maybe some other sports at times you got to say, okay, well, listen, I can kind of trade some of this, trade some character for some ability. We don't have to do that in baseball. We don't have a lot of bad actors in, in football. But, you know, my point being is that, you know, by and large, for generations, we've had these baseball players that have this great relationship with our, with our fans. I interviewed Paul Mahalam about the Ring of Honor thing, and that was one of the things that he brought, he brought up is that, you know, walking around the stadium – 20 years later, he sees a lot of the same faces he saw when he was here as a player. Those same faces when times got a little bit tougher and needed to throw a strike and takes a moment to walk around the mound to collect himself, and he looks out there and there's somebody gives him a thumbs up or somebody gives him that look. Those faces are still there. Well, you know, we got our hair's a little bit grayer. We got a few more wrinkles. Some of us have a few more pounds. But we're here for those players. And those players are here for us. And that is one of those things that I hope never, ever changes in life. As long as I live, and I hope long after I'm gone, that the relationship between Mississippi State baseball players and Mississippi State fans continues to endure forever. There's a lot of people nowadays, you know, with all the stuff we've had, they want to keep you at arm's length and that sort of stuff. But... Baseball players and little kids kind of goes together. You know, when I was going to ball games and you know, had a chance to go watch, uh, you know, Clark and Palmero play when I was, you know, much younger, man, those guys were like super heroes to me. You guys want to talk about Batman and Superman. I want to talk about Thunder and Lightning. And I remember, you know, just something as simple as Rafael Palmero looking in my direction. It just meant the world to me. It's like, oh, my gosh, Rafael Palmeiro looked at me. And so now that I'm a little bit older and you've got the gift of, uh, you know, of hindsight, I guess, you look back and say, well, you know, there's just a bunch of college kids playing the game, but they weren't. They weren't. You know, to us, they made us poke out our chest a little bit more because, you know what, you might be able to get us some football, might be able to get us some basketball, but you know what, you come down here to Duty Noble Field and you take the field against our boys here, Will Clark and Rafael Palmero, you better bring a sack lunch partner because it's going to be a long day. And that's how we felt. And you know what? It was true. We didn't win a national championship. We should have. There's a reason those names are on the building. There's a reason we got statues out in front of those guys. And so I think about this new generation of players, and I don't know that they fully appreciate what that means to young men like Hayes Weldon that they take five seconds to walk over and give a fist bump or take a picture. They don't understand. And maybe when you get a little bit older, you got a little more context and you can maybe fully appreciate that. But I can tell you as a former kid that would love to have had anything, just a piece of our players. You know, back in those days, you know, that you, you couldn't take a picture. You know, mom couldn't get the Polaroid to work. It's a completely different day and time. But the thing that always stands out to me is that uh, – at the end of the day, all of us at some point, you know, we're some little boy or some little girl with a dream, and that somebody out there took a little time, didn't cost them anything, but it meant everything. All right, let's look ahead. Uh, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors to this show, man. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I think you guys will too. If you hadn't already, go by and check them out. Two locations to serve you right now. We're the third location coming online very, very soon. Go by, have the spring rolls. 
And if you're looking for just a great straight-ahead American rock and roll burger, get the Bulldog. You're going to be happy you got that. The portion's going to be great. The taste is going to be great. The service is going to be great. Price as well. But if you want to walk on the wild side just a little bit, let me tell you to get the smokehouse. Let me tell you to get the full of bologna. And I'm still, I'm still hung up on the grilled chicken club. I think I've had that three times in a row now. You know, you know how it is. I mean, you find something that works for you, you just want to stick with it. It works for me. I like it. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, and then coming soon in the old Mugshots location out there in, uh, in Ridgewood. You'll be, you guys are going to be excited about that new location. Very much so. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. I don't know if you've heard yet, but Mississippi State swept Texas a and for the weekend. I don't know if you guys know this either. I don't know if I shared this with you guys in my research on Friday. I kind of figured this out. Uh, the visiting team had won that series, I think, all but once since A&M joined the league. I think in 14, when they were number one in the country, they, they won the series at home. The home team has really struggled. We've gone down there, won the last two. You remember in 16, they came here and swept us. We won the SEC that year. And it's so funny, too. It's, it's amazing how that revisionist history has changed. You know, now I, I read our message board and it's like, well, you know, if we end up, you know, t- tied with Arkansas, we didn't really win the SEC. You know, it's like well, when A&M swept us, we don't, you know, we don't talk about that. And of course, we ended up winning it outright by one game. But, you know, baseball season's a long season, man. You know, people get swept. People have ba- bad weekends. Some people have big weekends. I mean, things change. But the rules are in place. This is what we're going to do at the end of the year. The Southeastern Conference is going to award the team that won the most SEC games the SEC championship. If there is more than one team, then they will be co-champions. There is no tiebreaker for the championship. There is a tiebreaker to see the tournament. Now, you can decide. I I see some people say, well, I just want to accept that. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you will accept. That is what the rules are. And if they give us the trophy, we're going to take it home. We're going to change the graphics on the outfield. We're going to change our Twitter bio. We're going to print some shirts, and we're going to sell them, and we're going to be SEC champions. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But we won the three games this weekend we had to win. I get a little fired up about this stuff sometimes. So, obviously, we played the doubleheader on Saturday. So, let's take a quick uh, you know, breakdown here of a couple of these ball games and uh, just kind of look at what went right, what went wrong, and – what we can learn from it. You know, the bottom line is, is we won the three games. And here's the deal. When it comes to the SEC race, a win over Texas A&M counts the same as it does over Vanderbilt. Now, of course, in your resume for postseason, you know, that win over Vanderbilt means a little bit more because they're a higher RPI team with a higher strength of schedule. So it helps you in your own uh, matrix. But the bottom line is, is that when they start counting games, they all count the same. They all count the same in the SEC standings. So let's look at this first one. And I'll be honest with you, we, we got off to a good start. And then, uh, you know, C-Mac had a little trouble there. And that is concerning. Okay, I'm not going to talk negatively about Christian McLeod. I don't believe in talking negatively about our players. They're our guys. They're our guys, right? Every one of them is our guy. Now, we may get upset every once in a while with them. I'm not going to trash our guys. It's not going to do it. I never know what's going on with a guy. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know if he's got a blister somewhere. I don't know if, uh, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him or if he failed the test. And so I try not to judge people. I just say, you know what, it did, we didn't have a good outing. Let's get it the next time. You know, I mean, sometimes there are difficult decisions that have to be made. They're not my decisions. I'm just here to cover the team. 
So let's uh, let's real quickly here kind of run through this. Attendance on Friday night, 8,949. Not sure if I believe that, but um, you know, a lot of people are reporting paid attendance rather than actual attendance, and I think we've done actual the whole way through. Maybe we've switched. I don't know. I'm sure Ole Miss will just report paid the whole way through and say led the nation in attendance when they didn't, but it won't be the first time they've claimed or lied about something, right? So, all right, let's jump in here and look at this here. So, right out of the gate, man, and this Alejo kid, I, it seems like Joel Coleman and I talked about this. It seemed like that he was like 20 of 21 on the weekend. It seemed like every time I look up, he is on base. They get to Christian early. You know, they get the double, and we get a hit by pitch. Then we get a foul out, and then they get a fielder's choice there, and you know we get the runner at third. But there's runners at first and second, and then there's an infield uh, single, and the bases are loaded, and you feel like, okay, here we go again. But Christian gets out of it with a fly out to right field, and it was kind of a loud out. But um, we get out of there unscathed. We go up there and put a run up in the first. Tanner Allen, great weekend. I don't think he'll win SEC Player of the Week, but, man, I don't know that we have a more valuable player on our roster than Tanner Allen. He is the fire starter for us. Uh, singles in his first at bat on the very first pitch he sees, and Cam James walks. And I tell you, Cam James didn't fill out the box score this weekend. I think he walked like six times. I think he was on base eight out of 13 plate appearances. I think that's right. Now, now to read social media, you wouldn't know that. But I like a three-hole hitter that is willing to take a walk and allow the lineup to move forward to get the cleanup guy to the plate against the pitcher in the stretch. That's good team baseball. I don't necessarily have to have that goal. I go up there thinking about, okay, I've got to get a 25-degree uh, launch angle at max exit velo. No, no, just go up there and move the order around. Okay, that's what I need you to do. And there are some guys that hit three and four in lineups out there that are too good to walk. I'm glad Cam James in one of them. All right, so – Cam walks, and what do you know? Luke Hancock gets a base hit, drives in a run. And then we get out of it. Okay, but it, we get we get one run early on. And, again, it's just good team baseball there. You get the single, you work a count, you move a runner in a scoring position, guy gets a base hit. I mean, that's just – that's baseball. You know, this isn't church league softball. I think some people think, well, wait a minute, Steve. Shouldn't we be hitting five, six home runs a game if we're the number two team in the country? No, That's, I mean, the, the baseball didn't work that way. It may have worked in the 90s when everybody was juicing and, and using trampoline bats. It doesn't work that way now. You actually have to play baseball now. You have to use strategy. You have to learn from one pitch to the next. You have to learn from one at bat to the next. It's not like football where you just show up and out-athlete people. you got to actually play the game. So we get back in the second there, and Christian right back on track. He had a little shaky first, but he gets a one, two, three inning there in the second, and it was a pretty quick inning. So I thought, okay, well, maybe he's settled, we'll be okay. We get out in the bottom of second, rowdy singles, two out single, and then TA doubles to left center, and we drive another run. Now it's a 2 nothing ball game. And there's TA again right in the middle of it. First time he was the rally starter, this time he is the run producer. That's just that's what you want, top of the order. I kind of questioned having T.A. hit in second, but I love it. I love the move in hindsight. All right, so we get to the, th- to the third, and again, C-Mac handles it pretty good here. You get a ground out, they get a double, and then we get back-to-back Ks, and I'm thinking, okay, we're good. We got a 2 nothing lead. C-Mac had the shaky first. Now we got back-to-back innings. We've pitched around one hit. We're good. Bottom of third, you know, we, Scotty DeBrule gets a single for us, and I tell you, Scotty's kind of picked it up a little bit. This is a guy now willing to take that ball the other way. 
I like I like what I'm seeing from him. I really do, especially defensively. Guy, you remember he had a pop fly that dropped, and we it was actually dropped off the lane four sides, but it was DeBrule's play. Now anything hit in the air on the right side, Scotty DeBrule is sprinting to it. This is a guy that obviously has taken coaching, understands what's expected of him. So I like his effort. So we get into the top of four, and this is when things kind of come unraveled for uh, for C-Mac. So we get a single, and we get a review, and we get out of the deal, all right? And so we're thinking, okay, we're good. But nope, they review the play, and they overturn it. And so now you've got the single guy first, and then Blom gets a single through the left side, and then there's an error at third, and we throw the ball away, and then two runs scored. And that's the thing that I, I go back and look at this. You know, C-Mac had had two really good innings, and then we get three ground balls in a row. And rather than getting him out of the inning with three ground balls in a row, we don't have anybody out, and now the game is tied. So this isn't totally on Christian McLeod. That's the thing. Every time I see these meltdowns, it, there's usually an error or two or a play we didn't make that is a factor in all that as well. So, again, single to the shortstop, and then a single through the left side, and then we, we make an error. And then next thing you know, we get another ground ball, but this one happened to go back up the middle. Then we get a K-swinging, then there's a bunt single, and then it's just, you know – all this is happening, and not a lot of these balls are well struck. We should have been out of the inning, but we weren't. By the time we got out of it, it's a three-to-two ball game, and A&M leads. And I go back to all this too. It's like, you know, when I've got a guy up there, because that, that's all a lot of the casual fans see. They say, well, you know, this guy's just, you know, he's not able to get outs. When my guy's rolling up ground balls, you got to make plays. We got to make plays behind him, and yeah, occasionally you're going to get hit. I don't. He's not doesn't have an overpowering fastball by SEC standards, and so when he can't land the breaking ball or get some swing and miss on a changeup, he's got to rely on the fastball. And when he's making them hit his pitch and getting ground balls, we got to get outs behind him. So this is a a, com, a comedy of errors right here. But C Mac is the one that gets the blame. In the, in the eyes of our fans, oh, we got to get out of the inning. You know what? He there's seven guys behind him with gloves on. They got to help him get out of the inning too. So we finally get out of that deal, and uh, we go one, two, three in the fourth, and down three, two. And so we bring in Preston Johnson, and I, I like Preston Johnson a lot. I really do. I think that he is a guy that is going to get some big time uh, innings for us down the stretch. And you're starting to see him pitch a whole lot more. I guess the Southern Miss game was kind of his coming out party. And he has been really good ever since then. I guess he had the, the, the outing at Auburn, and that was just nerves, you know, pitching on the road in the SEC for the first time ever since, and he's been great. Met his family, great people. Talked to his dad again uh, Saturday evening after the ball game. I'm excited about Preston Johnson, but, he, again, he comes in there and we get uh, get a one, two, three in him. Now all of a sudden we're back in the ball game. We, I find it, and it's just the thing, too, that sounds so unfortunate, too. When C-Mac comes out of a ball game, it's almost like people relax a little bit. I mean, honestly. I mean, it's like you think your Friday night guy, that would be the one thing you'd say, okay, this is an automatic. But the way that C-Mac has been up and down the last few weeks, it's almost like, okay, okay, we're finally into the bullpen. We're finally in the bullpen. Okay, now, now we can relax a little bit. And it's a shame that we feel that way. But that's how it is. And, again, I go back to the fact that it's not just Christian's fault. We have to make the plays behind him. He's the one that gets charged, 
but he's not always the one to blame. Now, he, granted, he's got to pitch better too, but it's a team effort. It's a team game. All right, it's so bottom of five, and what do you know? Again, it's Tanner Allen singling up the middle to get the party started, and then Cam James singles. And I did, according to some people on social media, I didn't know that Cam could swing the bat, but he does, and uh, rips the first pitch he sees back up the middle. We go first to third in the deal, and then Luke hits a ground ball to the right side. Where do you know we've scored a run? It's a tie ball game. Had a couple more chances to add some uh, some runs there, but we didn't. Left a lot of runners on base this weekend, including that inning. So we get to the sixth, and uh, Preston Johnson, still in the ball game, gives up a single on an 0-2 pitch. And that's one of the things, too, that sometimes younger guys struggle with this a little bit. You know, it's like we want to strike everybody out, and we get ahead 0-2 with a couple of uh, fouls, but I can't catch too much of the plate on 0-2, right? I got to see if I can't get the guy to chase a little bit. You know, sometimes you want to sneak one by him, maybe the second time through the order. But, you know, when you're a guy coming out of the bullpen and everybody knows you're a velo guy, they're going to be looking fastballs. And that 0-2 pitch, I can't catch too much of the plate. We do there, and they get the single. Then we get a ground ball. It's a fielder's choice. Just couldn't turn it. It wouldn't hit hard enough to turn a double play. Give up a stolen base there and uh, throw the ball away. And next thing you know, again – we get a K swinging, and then it's the Alejo kid with a single. And you know what? If we don't throw that ball away on the stolen base, he's still at second base, and he doesn't score. So, again, as great as all this was, and we kind of look back and do the autopsy here, we realize a lot of these things that made this ball game kind of gross were things we did. And you say, well, you know, they put pressure on us. You know what? Throwing the baseball to second, sometimes you got to eat it. Okay, sometimes you get a ball in the dirt and you don't have a play there, and the discretion's a better part of Valor. We throw it away. We don't back up the throw there the way we should, and a guy goes to third, and then the leadoff hitter at the top of the order comes up, and we drive a run in. Now, all of a sudden, it's 4-3 A&M again. You know, sometimes you just got to play, play baseball, and sometimes you got you know, you got to eat it and live to fight the next pitch. Bottom of six, we come out, and again, we get, we get nothing going here. We, Rowdy gives us a single, and uh, lo and behold, T.A. Doesn't get, uh, doesn't get on base there. We ground out to first with a new pitcher in there. Top of seven, and this, this is when a lot of Bulldog fans left for the exits. And I'll be honest with you, I turned to some guys, and I said, well, I guess we can stop tracking the SEC race after this one. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was over too. We get Frizzell, who had been their hottest hitcher. He didn't do much all weekend. We get Frizzell to strike out swinging, and then they pinch hit. They bring in Minich, left-hander, and he absolutely murders a baseball to right field uh, that puts them up, you know, uh, 5-3. And then Brett follows with a single, and then there's another home run to left to put him up 7-3. And, and that's when a lot of Bulldog fans said, you know what, I'll, I'll go see what's going on in the Cotton District, or maybe there's something good on TV. And before they could even get settled, and many of them get out on Highway 12 or Highway 82, Mississippi State responded immediately. Cam James walks again, counts as good as a single. I don't know if you know that. That run that, that, that scores via getting on base as a walk counts the same as the one that's a home run. I don't know if you knew that, but it's true. All right, so then Hancock singles back up the middle, and the second baseman got a little bit of a glove on it, and it slowed it down, which enabled Cam to take third. I think maybe you send him anyway. But because that ball kind of trickled out there to center, they didn't have a play. Well, it turns out it didn't really matter anyway. Because the very next pitch, 
Logan Tanner hits a three-run bomb, and now it's a seven-six ball game. And when that once that happened, I turned to Tyler Hork and I said, "We're just gonna win this ball game." A and M simply couldn't finish, and so we get the three-run bomb there. And again, what happens? We end up loading the bases again, and we we don't get the big hit. We could have actually taken the lead here in this inning. We leave them loaded again. And as great as that inning was, it could have been even better. Top of eight. We make a few changes around their own defense, and uh, we finally, uh, Carlisle Kessler comes in and gets Alejo to fly out, and it was a great at bat there. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, you know, Harrison walked, I guess, and then Alejo had a, what, a 9-10 pitch at bat. We finally get him out, and just felt like it was just such a relief because he had been such a burr in the saddle already. Uh, we bring in Stone Simmons, and I think Stone's going to be a great addition to this roster. I really do. Uh, I thought he pitched really well at Vanderbilt. But uh, so Simmons comes in and we get a K, and then we bring in Cam Tuller to match up on Frizzell, and we get him to K too. And to be honest with you, I know some people say, "Oh, I don't understand." Listen, we got to match up on the back end. And Cam Tuller was absolute money for Mississippi State this weekend. We are watching him grow up right before our eyes. So we get to bottom eight. We don't get anything going. We we did have one walk in the inning, but uh, had the strikeout looking on Scotty DeBrule. That was an absolute joke. That ball was closer to his ankles and his knees. And he gets he gets ahead 3-0, and then we take three straight pitches. And uh, the last one was an absolute joke. And it's so crazy, too. I found out, too, that, like, there's so many of these guys, they don't really get evaluated on balls and strikes. That's got to change. With all the technology we have available today, they got to do a better job. It's absolutely ridiculous that a guy can control a game like that. Turns out it didn't hurt us, but uh, just absolutely stupid. It's it's a bad call. Bad calls are part of baseball, but when they're when they're when it's that low, on the shin, come on, man. All right, top of nine. Parker Stinnett comes in. We get a case swinging, and then we kind of have a, a wild pitch here. The, the guy that walked to open the inning got on base. That was on uh, Cam Tuller, but Stinnett comes in. It's a good job. Made it kind of interesting. You know, he spikes that breaking ball sometimes, and. Uh, doesn't give Landon a real chance, but uh, or Logan, excuse me. But then we get to K, and we get a ground out, we get out of it. So we set up some drama there in the night. So one of the heroes of the weekend, Brad Cumbust, and you've heard uh, you've heard Chris Simona say before. You know, Brad's not always the best guy to lead off an inning, and I considered that when when this was unfolding. And in the one zero pitch, Cumbust rips a double to left field. And as we were, I was sitting there thinking, okay, we, we just got to find a way to get Cumbust on. And then you bunt him around and you, you give yourself two chances to get a base hit and drive him in. Well, Brad go ahead, removes the sacrifice option and uh, hits that great, great ball to left field. Tanner Leggett couldn't get the bunt down, but hits a ground ball that's so weak there's no play for them to third. Cumbus takes third, so it works the same way as a bunt, and I think Tanner Leggett is a bulldog. I, I like Tanner Leggett a lot. He is not overly talented, but what he lacks in talent, he makes up with, with hustle and baseball IQ, and I tell you, he, defensively, this is a guy that can really play. He's played some at first base. He's played some at second. I want to say he played some mop-up time at short, you know, when, um, when Lane was sick. You know, I mean, you know, this is a guy that's a utility guy. This is a guy that can really play. Now, is he a difference maker in lineup? Probably not, but he's a, he's a tough out. He understands what's expected of him. These are the kind of guys that win championships for you because you can have all the headliners, but you got to have some glue guys, and that's what Tanner Leggett is. 
So then Lane Forsythe nearly hit one out of the ballpark. And what a great play out there in left. I think it was Boss that made the play. But he runs it down, but it's too deep and Cumbus scores. Great job by the freshman of situational hitting. We tie it and, of course, go into extra innings. Uh, Landon Sims comes in and says, uh, listen, A&M, we're going to win this ball game. We don't know when we're going to win it, but we're going to win it. You're, 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 uh, we let you run a few laps ahead of us, but we're going to cross the finish line by ourselves, boys. So we get to the 10th, of course, after uh, Landon gets a 1-2-3 inning. We get to the 10th, and you think, okay, let's get this thing going. And we, it's insane what happens here. We get the ground out, T.A. grounds out, and then Cam is hit by a pitch, and Hancock is hit by a pitch. So now you got runners at first and second, less than two outs. And you're thinking, well, let's make this thing happen. Tanner strikes out, and it was a strike. And then DeBrule walks, so bases loaded again. And then we pull Cumbust, and uh, we let Skinner hit. And we're working the matchup there. They, bring, they put Majors in, and that's the submarine guy. And he got Skinner. And it's so tough to get out there and pinch hit, especially in a situation like that. I mean, you, 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 you want to stay loose, but it's difficult to stay mentally sharp and then walk out there and get a base hit as a pinch hitter. Very difficult to do. So we leave him loaded again. Well, then uh, Landon goes out there. We get a K, a walk, a foul out, and a K. I never felt we were in trouble. We go to bottom 11 very quietly, one, two, three. Top of 12, same thing for them, one, two, three, and then Landon strikes out the side. And you know what happens next. Tanner Allen gets a 2-0 pitch and uh, sends us home happy with a walk-off home run. And those are the things, too, that I think about with T.A., you know, I give a lot of people credit here. You know, Andy Cannizzaro got him to Mississippi State. You know, Mississippi State with John Cohen and those guys, they were recruiting T.A. a long time. But he came because of Andy Cannizzaro. He was committed to LSU and came to play for Andy. What would we, we be today without Tanner Allen? I mean, right now, he, this is his team. He is the heart and soul of the team. One of the most clutch hitters in all college baseball. And there he is, making it happen. And it's his team. Now, and he's not the whole prospecty guy. You know what I'm saying? He's not the 6'3", 6'4", guy that's going to look good on the front of the media guy. He's just a ball player. That's what he is. He's just a ball player. He doesn't, he doesn't project well on the next level. He doesn't. You know, he's a guy that doesn't hit for a lot of power. He hits for some. But in, this is a guy that in every situation, you want him involved. And that's the thing. In, in just about every running scoring situation in this ball game, he's involved in some way. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. 
So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's insane. It really is. All right, let's get into the doubleheader here. And uh, I love the doubleheaders. It's, it makes for a long day, but there's no other place I'd rather be, to be honest with you, than Duty Noble Field. That's where I'd want to be. And all during the COVID quarantine, I kept thinking, man, I wish we had a doubleheader today. It'd be so great. I don't even care who we play. And some days I just wanted to go out there and sit in a press box. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like I just wanted to be near it all. I couldn't be around you guys. But I just thought, you know what, I just want to go to our favorite place and just dream about the time when we can all be here together and see a capacity crowd and see the boys win a big ball game for us. So we get into uh, game two, and Bednar was really good. And to be honest with you, I didn't think the zone was really favorable to him early on, but he adjusted. That's one thing that I've noticed with him. He's a guy that has learned to kind of adjust to what they're, they're calling. And he was good. I didn't think that he was – maybe as dominant as he was against Vanderbilt, but I thought he was really good. And, of course, Alejo gets a dadgum single to open the ballgame, right? But we get a double play, and I think that was one of three on the day, and we get Frizzell to ground out to, to the pitcher. And uh, so it's, it's not a one, two, three inning, but we face the minimum through one. We get a few things going, and, again, uh, Rowdy grounds out, and what do you know, T.A. with another hit, and then we have a busted hit and run, and he's thrown out on the play. Cam James walks again. And then Luke Hancock singles down the line. We got runners at first and third, so we got a good chance here. And then we strike out swinging on three pitches. Again, leaving runners on. Top of two, Bednar gets one, two, three strikes out the side. We get into the bottom of second. Get a leadoff single from the Brule. We can't do anything with it. We have a busted hit and run again. And we're out of the inning. Top three, Bednar outstanding again, strikes out swinging. There's a hit by pitch. And what, what does he do? We get a twin killing to get out of it again. Face the minimum. Bottom of third, this game is kind of just snaking along here. Not much good has happened either way, other than the fact that Bednar is not letting them get up off the mat. 
Then Forsyth strikes out. We get a walk to Rowdy. T.A. flies out, one of the few times he didn't have a quality at bat. And then Cam rips a single to center. Didn't walk this time, but somehow he managed to make it on base. And uh, now you got runners at uh, first and third, and what do we do? We pop up on the first pitch at a shortstop. So, again, a runner in scoring position, we can't get him on. So, we get Alejo to line out, boss singles, and then we strike out Frizzell again, and then minutes grounds out. So, again, pitching around a single. Bednar's just not giving him any room to breathe. The problem is, offensively, we just weren't able to get some things going. We weren't able to cash things in and give him a little run support. So, bottom of four, we finally break through. Logan Tanner walks, and then there's a wild pitch. Now we've got a runner in scoring position with nobody out. Then DeBrill walks. And then Cumbus hits the fielder's choice there, put the ball in play. Didn't have much to show for it, but they, uh, they, they gunned down uh, Tanner at third. So, runners are first and second. Well, then Tanner Leggett works, a, I guess, a nine-pitch at bat here to load the bases. Then Forsyth strikes out looking. And I still don't understand, and, and listen, I'm not going to be critical of Lane. In a, on a full count and you get a fastball, you at least have to try to foul that ball off. You can't sit there and take a fastball. And he did, he'll get better for it. He's going to be a stud for us. He's going to be an All-American someday. So then Tanner Leggett, we get a wild pitch, and it's like I go back to this whole thing. It's like and then they walk rowdy, load the bases again. We didn't do anything in this inning. They gifted us the run. Now, you've got to be patient sometimes and not swing at bad pitches, and sometimes we're a little bit too patient. But you get four walks in the inning, and you get one run. Those are the things that keep inferior teams in ball games. When you have somebody on the ropes, you've got to find a way to get put a ball in play somewhere. We didn't do it. And go back and look at those numbers yourself. Other than uh, Brad Compass hitting the ground ball and the fielder's choice, we didn't put a ball in play. That entire inning. And when you've got a guy on the ropes, I understand that you want to be patient and selective. But a lot of these, uh, you know, these walks were non-competitive. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I, I just look back in hindsight. You've got to find a way to get that big hit. We finally get ahead, though, one nothing. Bednar gives up a leadoff single. The guy's still second. We get a K, then there's a walk. And you could really feel like Bednar was fading just a little bit. We walk Schmidt, and then we come back, and we get a strikeout swinging on three pitches, and then we walk Harrison to load the bases, and I think we're all thinking, well, here we go. Now the bases are loaded, and their best hitter, Alejo, is at the plate. There's no way he's not going to get a hit. Well, we work it full, and then somehow get him to fly out to right field. And it really felt like that Bednar was on fumes, but he gets out of the deal without giving up a run. And, again, same situation for them. They load the bases and then can't put a ball in play. The only ball put in play during this half inning for them was a single to open the inning. And again, Bednar's dealing, but now all of a sudden the control is becoming a bit of a factor here. So we get into the bottom of five, and we finally get a little room to breathe, and I thought this gave Bednar maybe a new lease on life. I think maybe if you don't put up a couple runs here, maybe you go ahead and pull him. But – so Cam James flies out, Hancock singles to right field, and Logan Tanner walks. Now you get runners at first and second. Uh, DeBrule reaches on an error. He hits the ball right to the first baseman, who just completely whiffs. Guess it had a little top spin on it, but uh, allows a run to come around. And then uh, Cumbus with the sack fly RBI. Now it's a 3 nothing ball game. And again, good situational hitting by the uh, left fielder there. Very first pitch of the sixth inning, Bednar gives up a home run. 
Then we allow Frizzell to get one of his few hits on a full count. He gets a single back up the middle. Then we walk Minich, and then we pull him. Honestly, I wouldn't have let him come back out for the six if you hadn't scored a little bit there because I thought he was pitching on fumes. You probably feel like you got a little margin for error, though, with three runs. When Boss hits a home run, though, I'm making the call. And I know, if, well, you know, Frizzell's a lefty, Minich is a lefty. Well, the both of them got on base. So – we bring in Brandon Smith, his first action in a couple of weeks. I'm a Brandon Smith fan. I really, I really, really like Brandon Smith a lot. I like his approach. He's a bulldog, really, really fights hard. Comes in and uh, two pitches in, he gets a double play and then gets a line out to second, a little soft liner out there. So we're out of the jam there. So it's a 3-1 ball game. And it really felt like the game had settled at that point. Bednar gave us everything he had. We kind of took their best punts. And, and, you know, and again, kind of running on empty there nearly cost us. But Brennan Smith comes in and puts a fire out. Bottom of six, we have other – again, we have chances grounded to a double play. I mean, Cam James walks to extend the inning, and then we, we hit into a double play there. Again, it's one of those things you look at. This inning is kind of a microcosm of, of the Bulldog frustration at times. And, and uh, there's a couple of things that I skipped. Let me go back because I want to talk about this at length. So Forsyth walks on four pitches. And you remember in the bottom of fifth, we, this guy was walking people left and right. And they just, you know, they say finally pull him. And then Rowdy lines out, but he hit the ball really hard. And T.A. gets a single. And it's now runners at uh, first and second. Cam James walks on four pitches. Bases are loaded, less than two outs, and we ground into a double play. One, two, three, double play. Tap back to the mound, goes to the catcher, goes first base. So, again, a golden opportunity to break this thing open. And I look at, you know, Will Bednar, and I look at Brandon Smith and say, you know what, hey, these guys, you know, through six innings, all they have is a solo home run, but yet it felt like that uh, they were still in the ballgame. You know, and, again, that's only Bulldog offense. Got to find a way to get those timely hits. It nearly came back to get us. So, top of seven, A&M gets a little bit closer. They get the one-out double from, from Smith, and then, you know, Harrison, they bunt the guy around, and, and then, who do you know, it's Alejo again, singles at the middle, driving a run. Now it's a 3-2 ball game in the bottom of seven. We go 1-2-3 there, had a chance to answer, we didn't. We bring in Cam Tuller, again, who is really, really coming on for Mississippi State. He gets Frizzell to strike out looking. Gets a ground out from Satori, who was a right-handed pitch hitter. We get we walk Brett, and then we get a ground out. And so, top of eight, you think, okay, we're going to get to hit two more times. They're going to get to hit once. We just got to find a way to be one run better than them the rest of the ball game. We, again, have a chance to get some insurance. Leggett's hit by the pitch, and you think, okay, well, let's just go ahead and, and move him along. We do that. Forsyth gets the, uh, the sacrifice bunt down. And then Rowdy walks. And then there's T.A. up again. You think, okay, well, we're going to get a hit here and drive in a run. Well, we don't. We get a ground ball back to the pitcher, and then they have to get him there. And so then they walk Kim James intentionally. So the bases are loaded again. Bases are loaded with two outs, and uh, we ground out. I don't know how many times we let the bases loaded, but it seemed like it was every other inning. But uh, Teller stays in there and does a good job and gets the side of it, gets a one, two, three inning. There in the ninth, so we've won the series. And, you know, I look back at this one, I think, you know, that not a lot happened in the ball game. It was just kind of one of those meh games. But I think, you know, Cam James moving the order around. I think Lane Forsythe, good situational hitting by him and Brad Cumbus there in the bottom third of the order. 
And then the Bulldog bullpen matching up and doing a good job. You know, Bednar was outstanding in the ball game. That kind of gets lost in all of that. You know, guys like, well, you know, we had to go six innings and we had to pull him. You know, yeah, it's true, but he was outstanding when he was on his game. And those are the things that I look back to. It's like, you know, if, if we're playing a regional type situation, you know, it, it, maybe you pull him and save him anyway. But Bednar is our best starter, and there's no question about it. I think everybody sees that for what it is right now. Bednar goes five innings, allows five hits, one run. That's a solo home run. Three walks, seven Ks, had the one hit by pitch, 98 pitches in the ballgame. And so, again, I didn't think that he was especially dominant from a stuff standpoint, but I thought he was very dominant from a competitive standpoint, that he was making them hit his pitch. And so he was getting some ground outs and getting some fly outs, didn't give up a lot of hard contact. And that's when you know a guy is dealing, you know, when he's able to get under bad angles and get balls put on the ground. And uh, of the uh, of the 15 outs, you get seven Ks, so you got eight more to go. Half of them are ground outs. You know, it's just one of those deals where when Bednar is on his game, it's going to be tough to beat him. It's going to be tough to beat Mississippi State when Will Bednar is out it, just being good. When he's being great, you can hang it up. But when Will Bednar is just simply good, Mississippi State's chances of winning that ball game are, are, are really, really strong. Let's get to game three. Houston Harding was kind of the hero of this ball game. I really didn't think Jackson Fristo was that bad. I know a lot of you guys said, oh, his outings are getting shorter and shorter. Well, I think a lot of that, too, is, is experience. Let me just tell you, Jackson Fristo is going to be a guy in a couple of years who's going to be first, second rounder. And he's got the makeup. He's got the skill. And you're going to look back here in a couple of years and say, man, this, this kid was dominant. He played for us as a freshman, really grew up on us, and did a great job. He's going to be your Friday night guy here in a couple of years. Guys grow, they get more experience, and they mature. And that's what's going to be the case with Jackson Fristo. That kid's going to be an outstanding player for us. So we get into um, the top of the first, and, of course, what happens, Aleo singles again. I mean, it's, it is remarkable what a good weekend this guy had. I mean, really, my hat is off to him. We get Boss to fly out. Frizzell then singles, one of his few hits on the weekend. We walk minutes, so the bases are loaded. And this is where I thought Fristo had a chance to cave a little bit. You know, it's the thing you got to think about, too. I was talking to a buddy of mine on, uh, on Sunday. You know, Jackson Fristo's a freshman. You know, he spent the first three hours of the day out there cheering for his team in a very, very stress-induced ball game. It's a one-run ball game late in the ball game. And it was a pitcher's duel. And, you know, this guy is engaged in the ball game. And now all of a sudden, after his team has won an emotional ball game by one run, now, all of a sudden, this guy's got to go get ready to pitch. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you know, you say, well, what could go wrong? Well, a lot, you know, a lot. So, he'll be better for the experience. But, um, so, again, we get bases loaded here with less than two outs, and you're thinking there's no way they're not going to score. Well, they don't. The kid challenges Britt, strikes him out swinging. Gay even got behind in the count. And then he gets Blom to pop up. And so you get out of that. You think, okay, cool. All right, the kid had a little rough start here, but we're able to get out of the inning. We come back in the bottom of first. Don't get anything. T.A. gets a hit. But, again, we don't get much going on here. Had a busted hit and run. Cam James walks again. <laughs> That's crazy. And then uh, Hancock strikes out looking. Top of second. And this is where 
this is where I think the stress of the day kind of got the Fristo a little bit. He, he doesn't make it. I mean, it's like there's just some things happen here again. You know, you got to go out there and throw strikes. I mean, everybody knows that. But he gets the strikeout swinging, and then he walks Horner on, uh, what, five pitches? Gets the strikeout, so you think, okay, location hadn't been great, but we've already got two outs. We're a pitch away from getting out of this thing and going home. You know, kind of getting down the road a little bit. Well, Alejo, again, singles, puts runners on first and third. Then Boss singles up the middle again with two outs, drives in a run. Then we give up one to Frizzell. And so now it's a 10 ball ballgame. So, again, runner on, two outs, leadoff hitter up there. He makes you pay for it. Kind of advances the inning, but you're thinking the whole way through, we just need to get, a, you know, get an out. Bottom of second, we come back and tie the thing, of course, on uh, Mule's home run. DeBrule reaches on a fielder's choice. And we, we put the ball in play. We were starting to make some contact here. You know, Logan Tanner gets a single, and then DeBrule gets a fielder's choice, and then Cumbus hits the bomb. Logan Tanner, excuse me. And then uh, Cumbus hits the bomb to make it 2-2. And uh, he knew on contact that thing was leaving the yard. I think we all did. So now it's a 2-2 ball game, and you think, okay, Fristo, we've kind of gotten over a little bump in the road there. You kind of handle it. Well, so we give up a single and a walk, and we pull him. And we bring in Houston Harding, who was spectacular. Now, one of the things I want to talk about before we kind of move ahead with the recap is a lot of people are saying, okay, listen, Steve, let's just go ahead and make Houston Harding a starter on Sunday. I don't agree with that. I think the way that he is working now – I think it is better to do it the way we're doing it because there's going to be some ball games. Fristo is going to give you three, four innings, and then all of a sudden you can throw Harding for four or five, and he gets you to the ninth, and then maybe you bring in Landon Sims or you bring in Parker Stanett or you bring in Cam Tuller. I think Houston can bridge that gap for you. And what I also like about it is that Parker uh, Stanett has that hammer curveball, and he can be a good setup guy for you in the eighth. And the next thing you know, you bring in Landon Sims if you have to, and you're good to go. But with Fristo being the right-hander, they're going to load up the lineup with left-handers. And so he gets you through the order once, maybe twice. And the next thing you know, you bring in Houston Harding, and he's going to shoot those left-handers up. Very reminiscent of the Fitz-Ross-Mitchell combo. You know, Fitz would come in, get you through the order one time, and then you bring in Ross-Mitchell, and Ross would just shoot those left-handers up. And so if it's working, let's not change it. You know, Fristo is going to get better, and again, there's going to be some outings, and he's going to go out there, and he's going to go longer than two innings. But I, I like the whole idea of making them load the lineup up with lefties and then bring Hootie in to just chew those guys up, and that's exactly what happened in game two on Saturday. So, Hootie comes in, gets a K, <laughs> and then um, kid tried to bunt with two strikes, and then... Um, they get the infield hit. They score a run there, and uh, we get the double play and get out of it. So we're down 3-2, but it just kind of felt like we were okay. I, d- I never felt like we were out of the ball game. Never felt like that they had the momentum there. I felt like it was just a matter of time before we got to their bullpen. Well, we tied up in the bottom of third. Similar situation, T.A., singles through the right side. Cam uh, grounds out, but the runner goes to second. Hancock singles with the middle. T.A. scores, and there's your tie ball game, right? Again, T.A. right in the middle of everything. Hootie goes out, gets a 1-2-3 inning in the fourth. Double play, excuse me. 
You get a you get a fly out from Alejo. We finally got him out. Boss singles and then Frizzell hits into the double play. So again, you face a minimum there in the inning. And Hootie was dealing. Bottom of four, State takes the lead for good. Comba singles through the left side, still second. Then we get a ground out, move him around there, and you're thinking, okay, we got to run at third, less than two outs. And what happens? You think, okay, Forsyth just hit me a fly ball somewhere. Well, he does. He gets a double. Drives in Cumbus and then Rowdy Jordan singles and drives in Forsyth. Now it's a 5-3 ball game. It, and we chased their starter. And it's only the bottom of four, and you think this game's just going to get out of hand. And for the most part, it did. This is where I think State really kind of flexed some muscle here is in these middle innings. Because defensively, I thought we were much better with the different lineup up there. But I thought Harding was the guy, too, because he worked so quickly. It kept the defense properly engaged. So – we had this wild play at first. You, you may, may recall this, where, where Houston Harding had to get over, and he kind of did like a, uh, a roll to the bag, and then his, he spiked the bag. They called him safe. They reversed it and called him out. And it was insane to see that replay. And it was just like when those kind of things are happening, you think, well, this is just our day. They don't have a chance to come back and win. And then we, and Hootie gets out of it. You get a fly out, there's a walk, and then he gets a case swinging. And so we're back in the dugout there in the bottom of five. Not much going on. Hancock does get the uh, get the infield single there, but we don't do anything with it. You know, that's that's the thing. Again, we get runners on. We don't move them around. We just, you know, it, it gets frustrating at times. Now, we did break out later. I'm not going to sit here and bemoan the offense. We had 37 hits on the weekend. All right, so I'm not going to sit here and act like that it's just nothing. Against SEC pitching, you can say, well, see, they only won five SEC games. Yeah, I don't, it's – but still, regardless of that, we saw some pretty good arms this weekend, and we hit some pretty good arms this weekend too. I was really impressed with how hard A&M played, to be honest with you. I, I really thought once they lost that first ball game, they would mail it in. You know, Tennessee beat them, what, 20-7 last Sunday. I thought we'd see that on Saturday. They didn't. They played really hard. So, top of six, Hootie still dealing. Gives up again. Alejo gets a single, two-out single. We get around that, though. We get to the bottom of six. We manage a walk in the inning, and just, again, Hootie's holding the game in place for us. We're just waiting for the offense to take off. Hootie has an infield, give up infield hit. We get a K. We get a fly out. We get a walk, and then uh, we get the fly out, and we're out of it. That's the only time it really felt like in the, in, in the ball game with Harding in there that A&M had kind of figured some things out. That's the only time it looked like that he might be, you know, not on top of them because for for a while there it just felt like he was smothering them. So we get to the bottom of seven and it's closing time. Mississippi State has some killer instinct here. So a lot of those hits we weren't getting early on, we got them here. So we start out with a fly out. Cam James flies out. Luke Hancock flies out. Our grounds out. So now all of a sudden it's a two-out rally. And it all because of a throwing error. You know, they get a ground ball and have a chance to get out of the deal. They boot the ground ball. And before they know it, the game is over. DeBrule singles through the left side, making putting runners on first and second. Kumba singles again, driving in a run to make it 6-3. Leggett singles down the left field line. We score another run. We're just trading places now. Uh, and then a little bit later, Rowdy Jordan singles through and drives in two more runs to make it a 9-3 ball game. And at this point, it was academic. It didn't matter what the final score was going to be. We all knew who was going to win this ball game. So – we bring in Mikey Tepper for Harding, who was outstanding, and makes some more defensive changes. And then Tepper comes out and walks a guy on five pitches. 
and then we balk him to second, and then we get a ground out, and the runner goes to third. And again, these are the things, too, that you do that, that get you beat. We walk Alejo, and so Lamontis goes out there and gets him. So right out of the gate, we, we put two guys on. I mean, those are things you look at here. It's like, you know, it's a six-run ball game. Just go throw strikes. This, this is not time to work on your curveball. This is not the time to add a pitch. Again, there's those seven guys behind you that are ready to play defense. Go out there and put the ball in play. Pitch to contact. Let's get out of here. But we don't. We bring in Chase Patrick. He gives up a single. We get a wild pitch. We walk the next guy. And so, Lamontis has had enough. It goes and gets him too. It's a 9-4 ball game at this point. And then we bring in um, Cam Tuller. So, they get a fly out, and they get the sack fly. They get a layo home on a sack fly. And then Cam gets a strikeout. So, it's 9-5, and he just kind of felt like at that point that the game was over. But State wasn't done. We do add another run there in the bottom of eight. Cam James on base again with a single back up the middle and then Hatcher grounds into a double play. And that was kind of an issue, too. They had some guys who had some good sinking action on the fastball, so we hit the top half of the baseball and beat it in the ground. And they're pretty athletic in the middle infield, so they can play they can play back. And then uh, let's see here. Let's see. Yes, Josh Hatcher grounds a double play there. Yeah, and, and then um, – Tanner singles back up the middle. DeBrule singles through the right side. Cumbus walks, and uh, we got some things working here, right? And then we get another walk to uh, to chase the run home, so it's 10-5. So there again, there's uh, Tanner Leggett out there in the middle of these rallies doing a little stuff, you know. I mean, it, and so it's a 10-5 ball game. Tuller stays in there, and uh, we get a 1-2-3 inning there, and the series is over. So we win all three. And kind of in different fashions. You know what I'm saying? It's like the first one, you know, we had to scrap from behind. We made some errors. We gave them the lead. We come back from behind, and we win it in walk-off fashion. We tie it in the ninth. You know, it was just, you know, just kind of that, that refusal to be beat. And then the first game on Saturday, we win a pitcher's duel and kind of rode the bullpen for a while. And then the Sunday game, you know, we just needed to kind of stop things in place, and that's what Houston Harding did for us. And the offense really got into the bullpen and kind of exposed them, you know, for what they were. You know, that they were out of pitching, and it took us two and a half games to really to really expel that out of them, and we did. And, uh, again, the pitcher, the pitcher of this game that was so incredible was Houston Harding. He goes five innings, allows four hits, no runs, four Ks, two walks, and a ton of flyouts. And that's what happens when you throw that changeup for a strike. Guys get on top of get, – they get their, on, their, on their front foot, and they – Elevated out to the outfield. And so, Mikey Tepper, Chase Patrick will be better for the experience. But the bottom line is you can't go out there and walk people, especially when there's a lead. I mean, that's the thing that just drives you insane. It's like, you know, just go pound the strike zone. So, we win the series. We'll be back a little bit later in the show, and we'll talk about what that means kind of going forward. Got a good top ten list for you today. Brought to you by the folks at johnnypacker.com. If you're looking for sunglasses, look no further than johnnypacker.com. This is a company run by Mississippi State folks. Matter of fact, all the frames are named after Mississippi towns. I've shared with you guys before, it's not as simple as getting sunglasses. Even though they are absolutely comfortable, they're well-constructed, you're going to be glad you got them. Stop living life through the lenses of cheap sunglasses. Get some quality eyewear from johnnypacker.com. You're going to be glad you did, but also a portion of each purchase goes to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. John Packer himself has lived with CF his entire life, so he understands the importance of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. 
And so if you're going to buy some sunglasses anyway, you might as well support a bulldog, but also too, support CF Foundation. JohnnyPacker.com. Be sure and check it out today. All right, top 10 list. We have discovered, too, I'm always finding some holes. I'll look back and say, have we done this? Hey, Roy, have we done this? We have not done a Smashing Pumpkins, so we're going to do a Smashing Pumpkins list here really quick. Uh, I'm a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, and I read some, some people say, well, I, I like the earlier stuff, okay, uh, before Billy got really weird. But, um, but it's interesting that like some of you have kind of pigeonholed me into this, this 80s rock guy. That is completely false, completely false. Uh, I like rock from all decades. I like some rap. I, I do like some country. I've got some friends out there that are kind of growing on me when it comes to country. But, um, but yeah, listen, I love rock. And I liked early 90s alternative a lot. I thought that's where kind of the future of rock music was at the time, you know, because the bloated 80s heavy metal scene was kind of dying to death. And uh, I really didn't get Nirvana, but I really got Smashing Pumpkins. And I really got Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. I thought they had a lot more to say. And uh, I thought Billy Corgan's an incredible songwriter. So here's some honorable mentions that didn't make it. And that they were tough. But it's uh, Siva, Rocket, and Soma. Those three honorable mentions. Siva, really, really close. Okay, number 10. Probably my favorite Smashing Pumpkin song for a long time was Mayonnaise. And that's one thing about Billy, too. A lot of these t- titles are very, very different. But uh, Mayonnaise absolutely a great track you'll absolutely love it number nine and it's probably higher on most of your list but it's a song tonight 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 off the melancholy and infinite sadness is a great double album but it got so incredibly overplayed and i don't think the song held up that well i think when you look back in hindsight it almost comes off a little bit contrived but um the video was so good like they played it on mtv like once an hour and i got sick of it Number eight, one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs. And for this song used to really, really speak to me. I, I found this early in recovery. This, this album was one of the last albums that I bought uh, before I got clean and sober. And it was the Gish album. And if you don't know the story about that, Gish is a tribute to an actress that actually rode a train through Billy Corgan's hometown. And that supposedly meant such a big deal to his grandmother that this actress, Lillian Gish, it was, hey, you know, Lillian Gish rode a train through here one day. Like, that was a big deal. I mean, life used to be so simple for us, right? And so they named the album Gish. It's crazy. So Disarm is the one. And uh, there's a lot of pain in that song. A lot of people kind of identify with that one. It's a cool video, too. Go check that out. Number seven, and this is another one that I know many of you are going to have higher on your list. But, again, it's kind of the victim of overplaying for me. It also, too, has that clicking bass line. You know, it's it's not really darcy playing the bass line it's you know it's the machine thing it's a little more industrial sound but it's 1979 i know many of you love that song i like it a lot i don't love it i do like it a lot though number six one a song that i absolutely love is today today is the greatest day i've ever known what's ironic about this song is billy wrote this on a day that he was considering killing himself And so in many respects, it kind of became like a gratitude list. It's like he was trying to talk himself out of it and and find some meaning in life if he was going to continue. And, of course, this is on Sammy's Dream, so it's after they've already had some success and they had the the tour with Gish and they were on the radio and some big things were happening. And and he was mired in a deep depression, and he wrote the song today. And so it's kind of ironic because it is more of a a positive song, even though there's some tongue-in-cheek lyrics in there to kind of mention depression. But it's funny 
Today is the greatest day I've ever known, and it was the day that he was considering killing himself. Number five, well, it's an absolute banger. It's rhinoceros. And uh, this, the tempo on this one is a little different, but lyrically, this is when I really realized that Smashing Pumpkins was a lot different than many of their contemporaries. And so when you get, maybe, maybe when you listen to this one, get the liner sheet out or pull the lyrics up on your phone and check them out, you'll see what I'm talking about. Number four, the first single off of Sammy's Dream was Cherub Rock. And this is another one of those that, you know, you know exactly who you're listening to. I thought Smashing Pumpkins' guitar tone was different than anybody else. They didn't do as much of the drop day tuning as other people. They were kind of had a, a sound unique to themselves. So the final three, and I know some of you were ready to fight me over this because you would have Tonight, Tonight, and 1979 in the top three. Well, I, I think these other songs are infinitely better. Number three, I, there are times in my life this is number one, but it's off melancholy and infinite sadness. It's zero. And the opening guitar riff on this is one of those things that just makes you grit your teeth. I mean, it is so full of aggression. I absolutely dig it. And uh, there's a line in there that says, intoxicated with the madness, I'm in love with my sadness. And when, you, when he speaks that into existence almost, it's like, I think we've all felt that at some point. And uh, it's very relatable to me. Number two, this is the song that actually got me into Smashing Pumpkins, but it's I Am One off of Gish. And what's crazy about that is this is back in the days when I was hanging around at Tal's Dart Bar uh, there in Hattiesburg. And uh, somebody up there actually had like some demos of Smashing Pumpkins before the album came out. And so we were kind of familiar with this uh, when it broke. We were kind of highly anticipating the album being released. But that's the one that kind of pulled me in. It's I Am One. But number one for me, and to me, there is no question. This is the Smashing Pumpkin songs for me. You may feel differently, but it's uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings off of Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. I think it is, it, the song typifies who Billy Corgan is as a musician and songwriter. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, there were many of the songs on the earlier albums that Billy played all of the instruments. Other people would play it live and they'd help write it, but because he was so controlling he would play the stuff himself. I, th I don't think James Aha or Darcy played much of the, the strings on uh, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, if I remember correctly. But Bullet with Butterfly Wings, of course, that's the one you know that says, uh, you know, the world is a vampire. That's how it starts. And uh, it used to be like the theme song on the Well Wars show, too, which is so great. But that's, that's my list. And it's a shame that we haven't done Smashing Pumpkins before now. I mean, it really is, because they are really such a great band. And again, some of the more recent stuff, it's, it's, not, it's just not, doesn't appeal to me like that earlier stuff does. And I think there's some music that hits you right where you are. And this is around the time when I was first kind of getting clean and sober. And so the music is very special to me. And I hope you enjoy it today. Smashing Pumpkins, that's a top 10 list. If you have ideas for top 10, reach out, let me know. I might just use them. Many of you have had some really good ideas and many of you are, have kind of sent repeats. And so I try to kind of when people say, hey, Steve, have you done Aerosmith? I'll just send you guys the list, like the, the Spotify list, not my handwriting, but what Roy's put together. And so if you're looking for a Spotify list, you can find them on Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. That's Roy Samante's personal Spotify list. So you can find all that there. So if you're ever curious about what we have done or hadn't done or Maybe you missed a list. You can go back and check it out. But there you go. That's your Smashing Pumpkins list. 
All right, so let's look around the SEC. And I don't know if you guys know this. I wrote an article about this on Sunday after I woke up from my long nap because I'm Rip Van Winkle sometimes. Is that uh, Mississippi State is now within one game of the SEC lead? We talked about it over the weekend on Friday. I said, listen, we got to get a sweep this weekend and hope everybody else gets a split. Well, Ole Miss swept South Carolina, but Ole Miss is behind us. But you know what? Hey, bully for them. You know, but the teams that we're chasing. We're all splits. Arkansas loses a game at LSU, and they dominated the other two games, which is so surprising, but they just kind of ran out of pitching. LSU salvages a game there, and then Vanderbilt goes to Florida and loses the series. I thought Vandy would take the series, but I thought, you know what, if they beat Leiter on Saturday, then Florida could take it. And then now Leiter, Vanderbilt has lost his last three starts. He got a no decision against Tennessee, gets his first college loss against us, and then Florida gets him too. And so Vanderbilt, without those two frontline pitchers, is really, really average. Really, really average. They are not the offensive team they have been. And when they get into those bigger ballparks, they are going to swallow them whole. So if Leiter can't get it figured out, Vandy may not make it out of the regional. You can see all Steve being so No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. If you see what they're trotting out there on Sundays, it's a it's a joke. And so if they lose one of those, if they lose a ball game in the first two rounds of the regional, they're not getting out of Nashville. You just go ahead and book it right now. It's not if, they, if Leiter loses his start, they are finished. And they're certainly not going to want a super regional. They able they're able to string it together. Perhaps maybe they get a cakewalk of a regional. There's no way without Leiter and Rocker being on top of their game that they win a Super Regional. If it goes to a third game, they're getting beat. Simple as that. They just don't have it offensively, and they're just not getting good enough pitching on Sundays where they can rely on all that. And so, uh, the, you know, the bloom is off the rose a little bit up there in Nashville, but it's, it's a shame to think, hey, you get two first-round first pitchers up there and then you can't win it. I mean, this is – I've told you guys before, this Vanderbilt team is not what they have been. We have to take advantage of that. And that's one of the things, beginning of the year, that we talked about on the show, is we get to benefit this year. We kind of get the Vandy schedule. Because in years past, we've had to play everybody in the West, and there have been some years that everybody in the West has made the tournament. And then Vandy would get to play, you know, Kentucky and uh, Tennessee and Missouri, they would get, you know, arguably at times the three worst teams in the conference. And so they had the cakewalk schedule. And so we had no margin for error. And what do they do? And they go out there and win 22, 23 conference games. And then the strength of the schedule is nowhere close to what it is as ours, but yet they're getting hardware. And that's not to take anything away from them, but it's just they, they've played the teams that are on their schedule. But this year, we kind of get the break in the schedule. We get the benefit of playing uh, their, you know, the bottom half of their division which is great for us. So Arkansas now a one-game lead over everybody. Arkansas 15-6 and six in the league, and they have probably the most difficult schedule of the SEC contenders down the stretch. It's, I mean, honestly, you look, go look at it for yourself. You see exactly what I'm talking about. You know, they got, they got to go – they got to play Tennessee, and they got Florida late. I mean, it's we'll, – we'll break that down a little bit if we get a little bit closer – they're not done losing ball games. They're a great team, but they have played the weakest part of their schedule. They're going to have to really earn it down the stretch. 
Tennessee is right there in the middle of it too. You know, Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Mississippi State are right there, at fourteen and seven. We're tied in third place, second place, the three-way tie, and just behind us is Florida and Ole Miss. And so, you know, what this is why it was so big for Vanderbilt to lose this series because I don't see a ton of losses left on the schedule. Now they've got you know one big series coming up here when they go to Oxford. You know, and I don't want to have to root for Ole Miss, but um, I've always said if we need Ole Miss to win for us, we probably don't deserve it. But you know, here's the deal with Vandy is, uh, you know, they go – they're going to play at Louisville in a midweek game, and Louisville got swept over the weekend. I'm so sick and tired of them propping those guys up in the rankings. It's reducted vomit. And then – so then they will host Alabama. That's probably a sweep. But let's say Alabama finds a way to scratch it together on Sunday. If that happens, Vandy is in a world of hurt. Well, then they travel to Ole Miss, and then they get Kentucky. And so when you look at Vanderbilt's schedule, where were we going to make up any ground on them? Because, I, you know, even if they go down there and take the series from Ole Miss, you feel like Ole Miss will probably get a game from them. But they'll probably sweep Alabama at home, and they'll probably sweep Kentucky. That's what makes this Florida result so incredibly big for Mississippi State. Huge. I guess when we look at Arkansas, since, since, since I have you here, let's look at Arkansas real quick because they're not done losing games either. Now, we've got, you know, a trip to South Carolina this weekend, and I will be there. We'll go to South Carolina, and, you know, I think that we'll win the series. They've lost five of their last seven including three over the weekend at Ole Miss. I think, you know, I think people kind of realize they've been exposed a little bit. But we've got that. Then we come home to play Missouri, who is the worst team in the conference, and then we go over to Tuscaloosa and play, which almost feels like a home game. Now, Alabama will still be playing for something, so we'll get their best effort. But, you know, I say we probably win seven of nine, maybe eight of nine. I think if we win eight of nine, we're going to win the SEC. That's how I feel about it. That's how confident I am with all that. If we, we'll, Let's say we sweep Mizzou. And then, so that's three of your wins right there. And then you win the last two series, seven of nine. I think that probably gets you a share of the title. It may get you second place. But if we win eight of nine, I think we're going to win the thing outright. I honestly do. And so looking at Arkansas' schedule, and you know, they went down there and LSU did us a solid. And what's so crazy is they win the first game seven nothing and 17 to 10, and then LSU bounces back to beat them 5 4. Crazy. Thank you, Tigers. So Arkansas will host Georgia, who will be a desperate team after losing two of three to Auburn, Auburn's first series win of the year. So Georgia was projected as a two seed, and now I begin to look at this thing and wonder, okay, they could miss the tournament. It's as simple as that. They could miss it. So Georgia will travel to Fayetteville this weekend, and then Arkansas the next weekend will go to Tennessee, and then they will host Florida. So I look at this and I say, you know what? There's a good chance Arkansas goes six and three down the stretch. Good. There's a good chance. I mean, it's okay. Let's say they win those series, and then um, but they drop a game each one, so they go two and one. If they don't get a sweep, maybe they get one sweep. That still puts them seven and two. Their game ahead of us. You know, we go eight and one. Well, we got them, but I think they're going to lose more than that. One of the things too that I don't think you guys realize too. When you go to Knoxville and you play a night game, you don't hit home runs. Just something about the way the air and the wind comes off the Rocky Mountains up there. But uh, that game is 6.30, Friday night game. 
So Arkansas won't hit home runs. It may hit some Saturday and Sunday, but it's going to be difficult with Friday night pitching and a night game in Knoxville. So remember we said that. We'll talk about it as we get a little bit closer. But it is very realistic to think that Mississippi State has a chance to win the Southeastern Conference this year. We're right there. That's part of it. And Chris Simonis will tell you, our goal is to be a top eight national seed every year. You know, we're focused on the bigger prize. But we'll definitely take some SEC hardware along the way. And you know as well as I do, if you end up being the SEC champion, you got a chance to beat a number one team in a tournament. I mean, you go look at the way the RPI is ranked at right now. You go look at how the rankings are right now. If Mississippi State wins out these last three series, right, and gets a little help along the way, you know, State, I would imagine that State would be one of the top four seeds in the tournament. You win the SEC, Mississippi State could be the top overall seed in the tournament. Just let that sink in for a second. You know, it's all about getting to Omaha, but my goodness, I mean, how about getting a more favorable draw? I mean, there's not going to be any easy teams in Omaha, but everything that we want is right there in front of us. Is this our best team? No, it's probably not. But we could still get the best result. And the reason that I say that is there is not a dominant team in college baseball this year. There's not. There's a lot of parity even at the top. And you say, you know what, Arkansas is pretty good, Steve, and they absolutely are. But we're right there with them. You say, well, you know, Steve, they swept us. You know, we're a different team since then. And I'd love to have a rematch with Arkansas in a big ballpark. I, I do. I think we've learned a lot. And, listen, they're scary. And I mentioned that even when we played about in Fort Worth or in uh, Arlington, how scary Arkansas looked. They're a team that really plays hard for each other. And so, you know, I think outside of them, it's okay, what's between us and Arkansas? Or it's between us and Vanderbilt while Vanderbilt's falling apart? Oh, it's between us and Texas after Texas just lost two out of three over the weekend at Texas Tech. Oh, it's between us and Louisville, and they, and they just got swept by Clemson, an unranked Clemson team. So my point is, is there's a lot of parity there. This is the perfect year to go to Omaha and see somebody just come out of left field and win this thing. Because who would you say right now in the projected field, the top ten, who would you say, okay, well, that team's definitely better than Mississippi State? Well, you could make a case for Arkansas. But Arkansas against Mississippi State and TD Ameritrade, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think I like my chances in that big ballpark. But I also think, too, who else out there, who would scare me? And there's nobody else that really scares me. They just don't. And so we just got to find a way to host a postseason here and get to Omaha, and then we've got as good a chance as anybody. We won't be a sleeper team. We won't be a team that just kind of snuck in. We have consistently done it. If we consistently do what we've been doing, we're going to be in Omaha in what is probably the most evenly paired uh, final eight in the College World Series that we've seen in many, many years. That segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, everybody up there will take care of you. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. If you haven't been by, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web and you'll find amazing items to choose from. CampusBookmart.net is where the hookup is. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, your kids deserve a new Mississippi State baseball jersey. They do. And it's going to be a memorable year, maybe one you want to keep forever. Go order one today. Everybody in the family needs one. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's do some recruiting, uh, some recruiting content here. As uh, you guys know, our folks at Portico – 
Brooks Bryan, they're uh, happy to help us. And Brooks a big recruiting fan, too. That's one of the reasons that he's kind of paired up with this whole recruiting aspect of it is because uh, I, I want to make sure that uh, we get some recruiting talk done and that Brooks is a part of that. How about that? So Brooks is one of these developers, too, that is part of this, you know, making Starkville a better place. You know, he wants you guys to come up here and be able to find, you know, a quality home at a quality price. And listen, the, the residential housing market in Starkville is booming. A lot of people moving up here to be a part of all this and, and come be, be my neighbor, and I'm happy to have you. I don't want to have to wait for a table somewhere, but, uh, you know, the more the merrier, man. Listen, we want to pack out those midweek games, too. So if you're looking for a place, Portico is absolutely the way to go. There are a lot of people that say, hey, you need to be in this section of town, this section of town. You know, and I'll be honest with you, and if you guys live out there off South Montgomery, you know, God bless you, because the traffic getting from South Montgomery to 12 and then the campus, it is enough to pull your hair out. So why, don't, why not live a little bit closer? Why not live right there just over a mile away from campus off Garrett Road? So when you come off 82 and turn on 12, like going to campus, the very first right is Pat Station Road that becomes Garrett Road, right when you cross over Old West Point there. That's where your new home is. That's that close to campus. You, if you're a runner, you could run to campus, go out there and enjoy all that. It's going to be 51 houses total in this complex. So there's going to be, you're going to have some neighbors. You're going to have some kids in the neighborhood, your friends, your, your kids can befriend. They'll grow up together. Phase one is finished. There's only a couple of houses left. And then there's 33 houses in the second phase. That's going to get underway very, very soon. Houses from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet. Plenty of size for a growing family. Listen, maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe you Airbnb that thing out. Maybe it's your weekend getaway whenever the Bulldog can play. And I don't know your situation. But I know this. I know that the guy that can give you the information is Brooks Bryan. Call Brooks today, and he will be happy to give you all the information you need to make Portico your new home. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. So since we were together last, Mississippi State has picked up a quarterback commitment, Braden Locke out of Rockwall, Texas. Not unexpected. The timing kind of changed a little bit here in the last week or so. He took unofficial visits to Mississippi State for the Maroon and White game. Then he went to North Carolina for their spring game. And the talk leading into the North Carolina spring game visit was, hey, I'm going to wait and take my officials and kind of make some decisions after that. Wanted to kind of get some officials taken in the month of June. Well, I don't know if that time frame really works. You know, for a lot of schools, I mean, for your quarterback. You know, you want to be able to kind of build a class around him, especially when Mississippi State has already got a couple quarterbacks in. But but um, I guess it was uh, Sunday after he got back from North Carolina, I began to hear, you know what, hey, this, this might happen sooner rather than later. And then on Monday, I was told, hey, Braden Locke's going to announce for Mississippi State this week. And so went ahead and put my crystal ball pick in. So okay, cool. We'll just wait this thing out. And said, hey, listen, he wants to talk to other schools that have recruited him, kind of do things the right way. And so he did. And then you release a video on Sunday, and it's like, you know, I made a joke about that earlier on the, on the message board. It's like, you know, people say, oh, we're waiting on a video or whatever. There's always a problem. There's no problem with this kid. The, the commitment was already in. It was just a matter of him announcing the decision. That's why everybody had such confidence in it. It's because the commitment had already been made. 
It was just a matter of him saying, you know what, hey, I'm going to be a Bulldog. And, and so I used to worry about that maybe 20 years ago if a kid was a, quote, private commitment and nothing happened right away. I would think, well, maybe there's a problem. It's not that, that way anymore because nowadays people are getting these you know, videos together and these edits together. And, you know, in this situation, too, he had all that stuff. But he also, too, he wanted to do things the right way. He wanted to let coaches know, hey, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come get my education at your university and play for your football program, but I'm going to go to Mississippi State. I respect it. Braden Locke had a huge career at Rockwell, Rockwell, excuse me, and he is a great fit for this offense. One of the things that I've learned is Mike Leach is not going to offer a bunch of quarterbacks. He's going to target the guys that he likes. He, he breaks the film down himself. You know, like in years past, like I'll give you a good example – John Havasey was the area recruiter on the I-20 corridor in northern Louisiana. And so John stood on the table for a guy named Dak Prescott and wanted to get him offered. But, of course, Dan wasn't going to offer him until after he had a chance to see him throw. And so, of course, they had changed the rules so Mullen couldn't get out there and go to spring evaluation. He had to kind of depend on that. Well, there were other times – you know, when other positions, you would just let the position coach make the call and offer the quarterback or offer the cornerback or offer the lineman or offer a running back or whatever. And so Dan was pretty good about letting guys extend offers to juniors, you know, for the, for the class coming up, but not for the current class. In the current class, he wanted to be the guy pulling the trigger on the offer, and sometimes he might let, you know, position coach, the area recruiting coach be involved in all that, and he would talk to them. But – at the end of the day, they had some input. That's not really the case with Mike Leach. And Mike Leach is a guy that he's, – he's a gym rat. And uh, I've talked to him about this before. You know, he enjoys watching film and kind of breaking it down and learning about guys and the intangibles and things like that. And, you know, he believes that there's, uh, there's some basic tenets to being a quarterback in his offense. And so he knows those better than anybody. So he is the person that does the evaluation. It's not some, you know – you know, area recruiter that comes and says, hey, coach, let's go offer this kid. Now, there may be some people that recommend him to him, but he's the guy that makes a call. And so because it is Leach kind of driving the bus on that, that recruitment, you know, Mike's very involved with the kids. Mike's very involved in talking to them. And there's so many people out there that will tell you, you know, that they think they have an idea of how life works, and they really don't, that they base their perceptions based off things they hear and see, and that they're not actually factual. But if you go back and look and see what Mike Leach has done with a lot of these quarterbacks that didn't have, you know, huge recruiting resumes, and now all of a sudden you look at the guys he's wheeling in and you begin to think, okay, it's not the same caliber of quarterback that he had at Washington State. They're actually better as recruits. Now, can they develop and have match that same level of production or exceed what they had at Washington State? That, that's the real rub, and that's going to determine, you know, is Mississippi State a solid eight, nine-win team most years? Versus Mississippi State, a team that's really going to challenge for the West every once in a while. And so it's all going to be about quarterback play, and it's all going to be about quarterback recruiting. And when you consider the fact that we signed two freshman quarterbacks last year, you know, we weren't going to go get a blue-chip quarterback this year. And I think under the circumstances, Braden Locke is probably as good as we could have gotten. We went through the whole thing with, uh, you know, with Bailey from Gordo over there, and, you know, I, I think the depth chart kind of scared him, and I don't have any negative feelings about him whatsoever. You get a short time in life to play ball and say, you know, listen, why would I go there when they get they signed two freshman quarterbacks last year and 
You know, Sawyer Robertson is the most prolific quarterback, second most prolific quarterback in the country. And so I kind of get it. And I wondered, I worried a little bit about that with Braden Locke initially too. But he's a big Mike Leach fan. He's not scared to compete. And, and I think that's one of the things that we discovered pretty early on is any quarterback that we got this year was going to have to be a real competitor, not just a guy out there that would you was seven on seven superstar. And so I think this is a best-case scenario for Mississippi State. I like Braden Locke, and I I credit one of our posters on the Gene Spades message board, Peanut, kind of uncovered this guy last fall and said, I really like this kid. He looks like an air-raid quarterback. And so we've kind of watched this kind of mature over the last few months. You had to watch Braden Locke be a guy that uh, was beginning to kind of get some initial interest from Mississippi State, and he gets an offer, and now he's the Mississippi State quarterback of the future. So – it is exciting, but I think also, too, it's, uh, it's good to kind of get that one in the boat so we can kind of move on and he can kind of help with some wide receiver recruiting. I think that's a big part of things. So we'll be back on Wednesday. Of course, Mississippi State does have a midweek game this week uh, on the road at the Citadel. That is Coach Chris Lamontis' uh, alma mater. And then we'll be at South Carolina. I will be there for the South Carolina series. I tried to talk myself into going to the Citadel, but uh, – you know, I think it's a Wednesday game, so I'd be gone Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, and then driving home in the wee hours in the morning on Sunday. It just didn't think that was the best idea for me. So I'm going to drive up on Friday, spend a weekend, and then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Your Monday Boneyard next week might be a little bit later in the day. It just depends on what time I can get out of there and, and get back to you guys. So, I, I'm listen, I'm always I'm, – I'm kind of recording in my head – on my drive back, so I can just kind of sit down and, and, and record for you guys. So you got the expanded show today. Hope you guys enjoy it. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't get out of here mention you know, best of wishes to our NFL dogs who were drafted over the weekend. Uh, Colin Hill drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And uh, Marquis Spencer drafted by the Denver Broncos. I thought we had three guys with a good chance to get drafted. The one guy that didn't that I thought might have a chance was Earl Thompson. He signs a free agent deal with the Packers – excuse me, the Falcons – so we knew it wasn't going to be a great draft year for us. But, uh, listen, it's time to let bygones be bygones, and let's wish these guys the best. They did their best to represent us as best they could. We didn't always agree with a lot of things that Colin Hill did, but the bottom line is he is a Mississippi State guy. He is a Mississippi State graduate, and uh, I wish him the best. I hope that he goes up there and finds exactly what he's looking for and he makes a team and, and uh, has a, a long and fruitful career. And, and I, I root for all of our Bulldogs uh, once they're they're gone, I, I think that, again that's a lifelong designation. And so you may disagree, but I I think listen, any guy that comes in and wears our uniform and continues to represent us, uh, I wish them the best. Not just in sports, but in life. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.